Yo, what's good? It's Black Trey, and I got a show called Growing Up the Same with Jason Madison, where we talk to guests about their childhood memories that I'm sure everyone can relate to. You even get some life advice at the end. Our show has featured guests like Dom Kennedy, J.J. Reddick, Aaron Davis, Brian Koppelman, Bomani Jones, Mina Kimes, and many more. Be sure to check us out on the Black Opinions Matter feed under the Count the Dings Network. Oh yeah, and don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe, rate, and review. And also subscribe, rate, and review to the separate Growing Up the Same feed. Hi everyone, Tim Kitzer here from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you're listening to Growing Up the Same with Trayvon Edwards and Jason Madison. Boom shakalaka! And now, here's your starting lineup. Trayvon Edwards, Jason Madison. Boom shakalaka! We have a special guest today, like, I don't even know where to start, man. Like, you know, obviously I work on the basketball side, but like, this is, this is, this is a special one for me. Uh, we have Earl... The Pearl Monroe. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Nice to see you, man. Man, nice to see you, man. For real. Like, and this is special because I know me being born in the 80s, always hear people talk about how good you were. Always take always hear people always in barbershops, especially young boy. You don't know nothing about this. So I'm gonna learn. It's gonna be a history lesson for me as well. And give you your flowers while you're still here. Um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 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 So go ahead, Jason. Yeah. Vernon Earl Monroe is an American former professional basketball player. He played for two teams, the Baltimore Bullets and the New York Knicks, during his career in the NBA. Both teams has, have retired Monroe's number. Due to his on-court success and flashy style of play, Monroe was given the nicknames Black Jesus and Earl the Pearl. Monroe was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1990. And now it's time for the one or the two with Jay Skills. Rolls-Royce or Bentley? Uh, Rolls-Royce. Yeah. Aretha or Gladys? Wow. I just heard neither one of us today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on Gladys. <laughs> yeah. Stevie or Ray? Stevie. Marvin or Al Green? Marvin. Jazz or funk? Funk. Hip-hop or R&B? R&B. Malcolm or Martin? Martin. Shaq or Russell? That was good, man. (laughs) (laughs) For the old folks, Russell. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan or LeBron? Oh, Jordan. The Knicks in the 70s or the Lakers in the 80s? Knicks in the 70s. The Bulls in the 90s or the Warriors from the 2010s? Oh, the Bulls. He got game or hoop dreams? He got game. Thomas Edison or Black Jesus? Oh, Thomas Edison. (laughs) (laughs) Earl Manigault or Pee Wee Kirkland? Whoa, go with Pee Wee. The Summer of Sam or the New York Blackout? New York Blackout. I was in it. You was in it? What was that like? Oh, tough. We were walking down the street, you know, car lights were on and walking with candles. It was it was eerie. <laughs> crazy. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. or Sidney Poitier? Sammy Davis. 
Myrtle Beach or Coney Island? Myrtle Beach. Grits with sugar or salt? Don't eat grits. <laughs> <laughs> gumbo or jambalaya? Um, gumbo without the uh, andouille uh, sausage. Sausage, okay. Uh, Jerry West or Kobe? Kobe. Bill Bradley or Phil Jackson? Bradley. Kareem or Wilt? Wilt. Moses Malone or Clyde Frazier? Clyde Frazier. You're going to get stabbed out here in New York. <laughs> the Phillies or the Yankees? Oh, the Yankees. Red Fox or Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor. Being in the Hall of Fame or having your jersey in the rafters at MSG? Uh, being in the Hall of Fame. Philly or New York? Philly. Vaccine or no vaccine? Vaccine. Social media or no social media? Social media. Restaurants now or restaurants back in the day? Restaurants back in the day. Hank Aaron or Willie Mays? Hank, say hey. <laughs> Tyson or Ali? Ali. Harlem or Brooklyn? Harlem. Cheesesteak or pizza? Um, pizza. I don't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson's or Sanford and Son? The Jeffs. Shaft or Superfly? Shaft. Coffee or Foxy Brown? Foxy Brown. Car Wash or The Wiz? Car Wash. The Mac or Dolomite? The Mac. Good times or what's happening? What's happening? Soul Train or American Idol? Soul Train. Baseball or football? Baseball. Playing in college or playing in the NBA? Playing in college. Playing in high school or playing in the park? Playing in the park. Sports in your era or sports right now? Sports in my era. Talking about the old days or talking about the future? Talking about the future. Playing on your favorite court or playing against your fiercest rival? Playing against my fiercest rival. Lemonade or iced tea? Lemonade. A relaxed Sunday or a busy Monday? Relaxed Sunday. 2 p.m. or 2 a.m.? <laughs> I used to say every day was Friday, but I say 2 p.m. And the last one, America in the 70s or America now? America in the 70s. Yeah. Why, why would you say say that? It's less complicated. Okay. You, know, uh, you really knew who your enemies were. Right. <laughs> I can dig that. Well, that was the one of the two. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you know what I hate? After a long day of work, dealing with people, being stressed, got to figure out what to eat that night. I don't feel like cooking. 
But I don't want to eat something that's bad for me, like junk food. I want something healthy. I want to eat something that tastes good, and I don't want to work too hard or pay too much to do it. Well, guess what? What you really want, if you're like me, is Freshly. That's right. Freshly offers chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered fresh to your door. No cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain, especially right now. And with Freshly, you don't have to. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every week so you can keep your fridge stocked and skip the trip to the store. Ordering is easy. All you got to do is visit Freshly.com and choose from over 30 delicious, satisfying, better-for-you meals like Steak peppercorn, sausage baked penne, or their chicken pesto bowl. I love Freshly can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. Now our listeners can try Freshly for just $6.16 per meal. Stop searching the internet for healthy food near me every night and start living life freshly. Your meals are always delivered fresh, never frozen, and are ready to heat and enjoy in just three minutes. With new meals added each week, Freshly brings the convenience of chef-made, nutritionist-designed classics right to your kitchen. Right now, Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash B-O-M. Stop stressing about dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash B-O-M for $40 off your first two orders. That's Freshly.com slash B-O-M for $40 off your first two orders. Do yourself a favor. Get Freshly. Man, that was great. It was so many. T- I don't, he, that's the thing. He didn't make it difficult. Like, uh, a few of them, you know, I get it. It's kind of like the arm twisting ones, but like <laughs> overall, you you had your answers already on deck, man. It's this is this is cakewalk for you. Well, spontaneity is what it's called. There you go. There you go. Exactly. All right. Well, let's just jump right into it, um, Mr. Monroe. What is your connection to soccer growing up? Well, I I played soccer in junior high school. And um, uh, back in those days, we, uh, you know, we basically playing in sneakers. And when I got to high school, I made the high school team and played there and, and was all men- honorable mention all city. And uh, during my soccer days, um, I, I broke my ankle uh, in my junior year. And I went to um, tell the coach who was also a professional player uh, back in the, that day, uh, Mr. Tatoya, I said, well, in my senior year, I'm not going to play, you know, soccer because I'm, you know, playing basketball. And he said, well, well, I'm not going to give you a recommendation for college. So I kind of said, college, huh? Soccer, basketball, soccer, basketball. So I said, well, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to college or soccer, soccer, so I said, well, I'll see you, I'll see you in, you know, with the alumni. So I went on and played uh, basketball in that particular year. Thank goodness. I, I went on and I made all city and, um, 
um, led the, led the uh, city in scoring. But interestingly enough, out of the three years I was in high school, I only played varsity a year and a half. So that, that was a good move on my part. Did you watch a lot of soccer growing up? Yeah, I did. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, even afterwards, you know, I was involved with, uh, somewhat involved with uh, like the Cosmos when they were here in the city and so forth and so on. And then after I retired, we started, um, I was, a mat I got into the Asian business and we, we were managing about uh, 125 uh, soccer players that were in the indoor soccer league. So, you know, soccer has been a kind of big part of, um, you know, my life all the way through. Who was your favorite soccer player? Oh, Pele. Pele. I was going to say, <laughs> and I guess that's a common answer. That's how, I, that's how I honestly started playing street soccer. Honestly, Pele. I'm young, but like Pele's impact, again, just me seeing like little clips and stuff like that, early 90s, late 80s, uh, more so was just kind of like every kid, you know what I mean? Especially, yeah. and he kind of looked like, he looked like us. So, yeah. I was like, oh, it's okay to play soccer and be black. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Because I'm from Compton too. So it's like, okay, you know, I grew in like a mixed neighborhood. Jason can attest to it. Like we have a lot of black and, and Mexican in our community. And okay. when we, when we growing up, you touch every sport until you find the one that actually sticks with you. And it's similar to how you said, you know, how, which one was going to benefit you long-term. No doubt. No doubt. I, I had a conversation with him uh, when he was in town uh, in, in the seventies and, you know, he, he had a nickname, uh, they called him the Pearl. So, I, I told him, since he was in New York, he had to get rid of that nickname. That's <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> I'm the pearl out hey, here. Hey, <laughs> I'm the pearl. I'm the only pearl out here. Can't be two pearls. Listen, I hear you. you it could have been a Spanish pearl some man. You know, the brilliant pearl some man. All right. On the same line, what was your connection with baseball? Well, I played baseball uh, coming up. Um, that was probably the first sport I played. And um, I got pretty good at baseball. Uh, never played um, baseball as, as far as in school or whatnot, but, you know, in soccer, I mean, like the soccer, you played only in industrial leagues and, and things of that nature. And strangely enough, I was a catcher. And I remember my last game, um, you know, this is hardball. And I was catching and uh, <laughs> I couldn't wear a mask. Because, you know, it's a ghetto thing. So, you know, the masks were like way heavy. So I couldn't wear the mask. Masks would make my head go down like this. So so I was catching behind, you know, people were looking at me. Oh, but I was a pretty good catcher. And uh, so the, my last game behind the plate, it was a foul tip went over, you know, goes over your glove and hit me in the eyes. And I kind of shook that off and threw the ball back and, and then I got back into it and another foul tip came and hit me in the eye again. And I just took my shin guards, my chest protector and everything and left it right there at, at home plate. But, and I went out to first base. But I've always liked um, baseball. I, you know, I can remember back in 1954, now talking years now, um, our class in, in elementary school went to the library and we were able to see the Giants and Cleveland play for the, in the World Series. And I, I saw the catch Willie Mays made over his shoulder. And that was, that always stuck in my mind. So you like, saw that live? 
No, I didn't. Well, it was on TV. But oh, TV. Oh, OK. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that uh, always stuck in my mind. That's when that question came, you know, Willie Mays or Aaron, you know, I, I had to you know, wait for a second. <laughs> and so I was a Willie Mays fan. But then I became, you know, a Braves fan, you know, yeah. Hank Aaron and uh, Lou Burdett and Spawn and, and uh all those other guys, uh, Burton and all of, you know, and, you know, I was just a baseball guy. Even today, I, you know, I'm a baseball guy. I can't watch nine innings. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, can look at it. Look, I can't watch nine innings either. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think when, you know, what's crazy being at a baseball game versus watching it. I think being at a baseball game is more easier to consume oh, you know yeah, what I mean? well, because well, you got every, cause you're involved. Obviously yes, baseball games are long, but then you got, beer you got the concession you got all this stuff and just the you know the camaraderie of, of being a sports fan versus watching and the game never ends sometimes like it can go all the way to 3 a.m and that's the thing i've learned now living on the east coast is watching sports on this side Wait. i'm wrapping <laughs> nba games at like midnight and i'm like what oh, is happening I couldn't believe it when I moved to New York and I was watching I would go to the bar and the Laker game would be coming on at like 10 30 11 o'clock it's like a second half starting at like 12 30 i'm like what is this but it makes sense why people are in the bar because it's like out here we're in the bar to just hang out and drink and party nobody's really watching the tv out in new york in the bars people are literally like watching the baseball game or basketball game at like 1 a.m like drinking a beer well that's how it got to you know the old nickname is city that never sleeps (laughs) yeah for sure for sure um, the last one you gave us was music. What's your connection to music? Well, um, like I said earlier, I, I was in the music business for about 35, 40 years almost. Um, but back in the day, early on, um, a guy came to my house and he was introduced as my cousin uh, by my other cousins. And his name was Solomon Burke. And so... When I saw him, he came in and I went and told all the other kids and whatnot that, you know, Solomon Burke was in the house and they wanted to come in and see him. I, and I used to, tr- I charged the money to come in and see him. So that was my first, you know, thing into music, you know. And Solomon said, you charging people to come in here to see me? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, he said, well, you should do good later on in life. <laughs> so I said, oh, so. So, you know, that was like the beginning of everything. But, you know, I'm from Philly. I mean, when you think about Philadelphia, you think about, you know, Philadelphia Sound. You think about, you know, Gamble and Huff, uh, you know, all of, you know, the stylistics, the telephonics, uh, you know, uh, Billy, Billy Paul. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I went to school. My, and my school, my classmate was Patty LaBelle. So oh, I remember. Wow. Her. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Right. You just can't just drop that on us. That's a bar. You say Patty LaBelle is your classmate. Yeah. So y'all graduate the same year, too? Yeah. Well, we I don't think Patty graduated. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, y'all was in class. She went on, she went on to make money. But yeah. uh, but, but uh, yeah, we were insane. I remember her, uh, you know, in our talent shows and things like that. And it's so funny because, you know, how she she has this reputation of taking over a song and whatnot. And even as in, in the talent shows, if a girl couldn't hit, if the girl in her group couldn't hit the note, 
Patty put her to the side. <laughs> and Patty came and sang the note for everybody. So, OG Diva. You know, yeah, man. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's amazing to have seen her then and see her progress through, you know, the LaBelle era and her and her era and so forth and so on. And uh, it's uh, it's just a great thing to see. So, you know, I'm from Philly and I know about the Philly sound. My brother-in-law managed the Intruders and the Intruders, you know, made my, my most favorite record, which is called I'll Always Love My Mama mm. uh, because I always will and always do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I hear that song and I, and I get to another, you know, stated euphorically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were so many guys that I touched base with. And even in as a as a ball player, um, going around in, in the 60s and 70s and whatnot, you know, we travel basically the same routes as a lot of the entertainers, you know, the mm-hmm. Motown people and so forth and so on. And we became friends. They come to games. We go to shows. So music was always in my blood. And I started to, um, when I came to New York, I met two guys um, uh, named um, Albert and Arthur Allen, who became the uh, Arlene's. And they were twins. And they were—they had just come back from playing with Jimi Hendrix. And Jimi Hendrix's last band, after his death, they were in Europe, they came back. I started managing them. And I started getting in the music business by taking records on the road with me, getting the records played at different you know, stations ac- across the country. And then I decided to do it myself. And um, that's how I got into the music business. Wow, so you were kind of like A&Ring at, was this when you were a basketball player, when you were on traveling on the road, or you? this was after your career? No, this is when I was with the Knicks. So, you know, we go oh, to wow. Cleveland, you know, we see oh, a that's, DJ, that's a hard. DJ there. I go to L.A., we see a DJ there, and I go to the station, I got records with me. I, you, yeah. know, you know, back in those days, I was working with Spring Records. So we had um, artists like Millie Jackson, Joe Simon, Fatback Band, and, and stuff like that. And uh, so then we, you know, just got locked in. So yeah, did you start your own label? Uh-huh. Did you start your own label? Yeah, Pretty Pearl Records. <laughs> uh-huh. And I had a kid named Curtis Hampton, and we, we bumped out really good with him. And uh, I was in business with a guy named Dick Scott, who was with um, uh, Motown. And then he went over to CBS and... Um, he had the new kids on the block and, um, you know, a couple other acts and whatnot. So, you know, it was cool. What was your, what was your favorite part about being in the music business? <laughs> that, that two o'clock, 8 a.m. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, in the studio, man. And, you know, and a lot of the records that, I, that we did, you know, like I was on them, you know, I'm saying stuff in the background like, mm, mm. <laughs> you know, and we we sample those things and whatnot, and um, you know, it's uh, it's it's been you know really a great thing. I mean, people chastise me because you know I'm I'm so music oriented, and you know, they, well, you should be doing something else and so forth. But you right. know, music's in my blood. Hey, you can't That's stop what's in your blood straight up. Don't let me find out. Is Earl of Pearl is, is ad-libbing on some... Oh, no, that's all I'm, I'm about to check for. I'm just about to deep dive and find all ad-libs. Yeah. Um. So you got a, like a, a long list of nicknames, right? And and obviously, you know, uh, Jason had you choose between two. 
But you got Black Jesus, Black Magic, Duke of Earl, Earl the Pearl, the Pearl, and Thomas Edison. Out of all those, obviously, the Pearl is associated with you the most, but which one was your first given to you? Um, first one was Duke of Earl. And I got that on the JV team in, in high school. And um, as I, and when I was playing in, in the people in the stands, you was how do, 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 go, bro. Do. And that, that was my first lock, you know. And, um, and then, uh, you know, there's some more that, that came up, but we can't say it on the air like this here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I know. Hey, it's all good. Trust me. But that's, that's killer to have the, 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 the crowd chant to it. Um, you went to with the Winston-Salem State University. Um, what made you choose that school out of all the schools? Or actually, first of all, how many other schools were recruiting you? I don't know. Okay, so you already had your heart sold on Winston. No, no, it, it, I you know everything I've done is is really off key. So um, when I graduated from from high school, my my high school coach kept you know the letters that came in for me, and I didn't see any of them. So I didn't know if anybody was recruiting me. So I went to Temple Prep. And you know, and, and and trying to get ready to go maybe to a, to a to a school. And while I was in Temple Prep back in those days, you know, freshmen on on, on major label uh, labels on really into the music on the major college campuses, they weren't able to play varsity ball until their second year. So, so we played in Temple Prep. We played against the freshman teams of all these different you know, big five schools from Villanova to St. Joe's, um, all the one Penn and all those here in, in the area. And I was killing these guys. So I said, well, shoot, I'm going to drop out and I'm going to play in the ABL, which was a uh, old, you know, league before the ABA. And um, just as I was going to try out for the ABL, the league folded. So that kind of left me out there. So I just went to work uh, in, a, in a knitting mill in, in, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Knitting, as a, as a matter of fact. And um, while I was there, I was playing in the playgrounds, you know, different leagues around the city. And a guy saw me play, who was from Winston-Salem, he had graduated, and he came up to me and asked me if I wanted to go to Winston-Salem. And I had never heard of Winston-Salem before. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. 
You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I, I said, no, 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 I want to, you know, just chill out and see what I could do. So about a, about two or three months later, making a towel 15 cent an hour. And if I missed the day, I was bringing home 27.50. <laughs> he came and asked me again. He said, you want to go to uh, Winston-Salem? I said, you know, I th- I, I'll go if my man could go with me. And uh, he said, well, I'll get back to you. So he came back and said, well, um, Coach Gaines said that, you know, you both of you could come. So. Yo, you real for that. You looked out for the homie. You got the homie right. out of Philly. And, <laughs> and, and, and also, I understand that going to a place that probably you've never visited in anything by yourself, handling, at least you have somebody to have your back through those times. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had never even been south. I had been to um Washington once on a class trip but you know I never been south so it, it was uh you know kind of a complete shock going down through you know in Virginia and and in and in Washington we had to get off the off the train and move to the back to a back car so that was that was first of all that was strange strange to be you know being it from Philadelphia and uh watching, looking at the cotton fields and whatnot as we were on the train getting down there. And, you know, strangely enough, our coach, Coach Gaines, never saw us. He never saw me play. He didn't know anything about me except for my name. And uh, so we thought we were going out on scholarship. Uh, we didn't realize that we were really going down to see if we could make the team. And uh, we got down there and, uh, um, you know, obviously he saw something he liked. And so, you know, if he's going to keep me, he's going to, hey, I have to keep my man. So he kept us both and we took our SATs down there. Uh, we, we, we settled in with the football team who was in practice before the, before the semester and so forth and so on. So it was a, it was a pretty traumatic kind of situation. And we do, had to do work aid, you know, because we had to pay our way. Right. So we had to do work aid. So my first semester, I did work aid, uh, 
and he had to, my man had to mop half the gym, I mopped the other half. And that was our work aid. And uh, after my first semester, after I kind of showed out a little bit, I stopped doing the work. <laughs> you put <your> scholarship. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, they slid that. They slid that scholarship as fast as they possibly could. To you. Hey, I, I know about that journey for sure, man. Like I love basketball so much, man. I bounced around from school to school until I finally found a home, and and it, it definitely wasn't like pretty. But I, I'm grateful for the grind. I'm grateful for the journey. And, and the friendships I've made, but like hearing your story yeah. is definitely inspiring. And I hopefully our, our young, young listeners hear it because a lot of kids are D1 or bust, you know, or, you know, it's just a different, it's a different viewpoint on how, how the game is viewed, you know, like, oh, if I don't get no D1 scholarship, I'm not playing. <laughs> not knowing like it's different paths you can take. There's so um, many different ways. Yeah. Before you ask I'll, this question, Jason, I, want, I wanted to ask, since HBCUs are now, you know, getting resurgent, um, how do you feel about that? I feel really good about it. I mean, obviously, you know, having gone there and, and, uh, and received the nurturing and whatnot that you get at HBC, you know, it's really, I, I think more black kids need to experience that. Uh, it's interesting that when I finish this, I'm doing an interview with uh, the New York Post because they saw uh, Chris Paul in a Winston-Salem jersey. I actually yeah. seen you quote yeah. retweet that saying, you yeah. know, like right on. Yeah. You so, know? yeah. And that's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, if you realize what's going on with that is that Chris Paul is in classes at Winston-Salem now. Oh, wow. He's from Winston-Salem. Obviously. Mm-hmm. His yeah. parents went there. His brothers went there to Winston-Salem State. Mm-hmm. And he went to Wake Forest. And, um, you know, I knew his, 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 his grandfather who had a gas station up the street, uh, you know, when I was in school and things like that. But now, you know, because he wore this jersey, you know, even more emphasis to put on HBCUs. And he, this guy wants to know why he's wearing the jersey. And I want to tell him why he's wearing the jersey, because it's the right thing to do. You know, and, and if in un, any other kind of situation, he would have gone to Winston-Salem because back in the day, those opportunities weren't available to you know a lot of black guys. Squeaky doors, clogged sinks, finicky engines. When things break down around the house, you take care of it. However, when something's off in the bedroom, you uh, uh, just try not to think about it. Uh, nothing. I was just tired. I'm, I'm, I just stressed a little bit. Come on, man. What are you waiting for? Take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M now. And if you do, you'll get $15 off your first month. 
it's really time to take care of your ED. And remember, if you get started today, you'll save $15 on your first order of ED treatment. Yeah, I was going to ask you too, like you said you had to sit in the back of the, the train car coming come in there what was the what was the racial climate like at that time from you know from you leaving high school i guess all the way through your you know your nba career the civil rights movement how how were you interacting with all that well you know i i was a martin luther king person yeah so, you know um listening to his you know to him speak it motivated me and when I went to school, you know, went, to, you know, down there, I remember he came to speak in April of 64 at um, Winston-Salem. I wasn't able to get to see him. And the next thing I know in 68, he's assassinated. And, you know, I always, I always felt bad that I wasn't able to ever get to see him live. But for me, I used to, is a book called, called um, This Banner of Man by Lerone Bennett. And it, in it, it has all his speeches and things of that nature. And I used to read that book before games. And, you know, the, the speeches, they get pumped up, especially when I got into prose in, in Baltimore. And, you know, it, it, it kind of set a tone for me. I, you know, I wore my red, black, and green and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't the, the average kind of guy you know, especially when you think in terms of a guy coming into a league that had quotas, you know, it was, you know, could only be six, six guys, six black guys on this team, you know, since he was 12, you know, at least that, you know, so, you know, I was, I was, I was into it. I did my protesting, I guess, more silently because kind of like, that's the kind of person I am. I'm, you know, I'm not like a gregarious type of person and whatnot, but, you know, I, I believe in what I believe in. And I think that from high school, going through college, seeing in the South, seeing what those things were, were doing to our folks, you know, because we only in Philadelphia, we only had visions of dogs and water hoses, you know, on folks in the South. And so being in the South, and then being able to see it per, up close and personal, it, it kind of changed my life. It kind of changed my viewpoint and how I, I perceived where I was going and what I was going to do. And uh, I guess the main thing I always wanted to do is, is be a role model, so to speak, for kids, try and have a, a, the image, you know, because, you know, Hey, you might not be the best person in the world, but if people don't know it, you are, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's what you do, you know, so that people can see what you do and makes you who you are. And I don't want people to be like me, but they can see that they can be whatever they want to be, just be good. And that's kind of how I've led, not only through high school, junior high school, so forth, and, and, and into the, um, college and into the pros, but even after the pros. And uh, fortunately, we've got a, we've got a school, um, the Earl Monroe New Renaissance Bas Basketball School that's going to be opening up in September. So I just heard about that, and I was just talking to some kids 
two days ago, 15 and under group, um, mm-hmm. coached by my man, Corey Underwood. Okay. And he was like, I was like, yo, I'm about to actually talk to Earl in a couple of days. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, you know, like tell him da da da. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll bring it up for sure. And you, you mentioned it. So that that's, that's awesome. Um, you had a signature shoe with Jordash. How did that come about? <laughs> well, they needed a real good, uh, spokesperson. And, uh, you know, I had just retired, um, and interestingly enough, I, I was a um, Adidas, uh, not Adidas, a pony guy, and, but I couldn't wear the pony shoes. So what I did was I had them make the pony tops and put it on the Adidas last so that the, the shoe was basically an Adidas shoe with the, with the pony tops. So I finished with my, my obligation with pony and was introduced to the people with Jordash. And Jordash was stylish. I mean, they had the Jordash shoes with the, and the jeans and so forth. And, you know, they were just a pr- more progressive type of company. And um, so I decided to go ahead and, and try and get involved with them. And uh, it, was, it was a good run. I really enjoyed it. Trey, you remember when uh, Ponies came back in, in our yeah. era? Yeah, I remember the <laughs> yeah. Ponies. Uh, they yeah. signed Wilson Chandler. Yeah. yeah, Wilson Chandler had a signature shoe, and that. Nipsey Hussle had a pair. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. Earl, I was gonna ask you. So obviously, you played in one of the greatest, you know, basketball eras of all time. You played against some of the greatest players of all time. Um, who was the best player that you ever played against on the basketball court, and why was it Will Chamberlain? <laughs> <laughs> so you know. <laughs> well, Will, you know, Will, um, Will was just the best, man. I mean, you know, I, I, it's not taking anything from all the other players that played the game, but Will, you know, you look down and you talk about records, you know, he still has about 60 or 70 records on the books. Yep. <laughs> you know, he established, he established the three-point, the, the, the three-second three lane. He established that as, as something. He established the fact that you had to stay behind the, the, the free throw line, uh, you know, when you shoot a free throw, because when he was started, he was just jumping from the free throw, throw line and, and dunking. <laughs> okay. So, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, so there's so much that he did. He changed the whole spectrum in terms of the, the pace scales and whatnot in, in, in the NBA. And, he was just a guy. Now, when I was young and I first started, I used to sit, you know, you know, in the playgrounds when, when they played. And you kind of, you know, you never played, but you hoped that somebody would pick you. And you're on the fence, you got your legs crossed, you, and you're seeing all these great players, you know, that play in the NBA. Because back in those days, those guys played on the playgrounds. Right. So you see Will doing that, and you you just be hoping somebody would say, "Hey Earl, you want to you want you know get yeah. in as a fifth? Come on in yeah. as a fifth. You know, never yeah. happened, of course. But you know, I remember seeing him growing up with him, and then playing against him, partying with him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what was that like? like? The whole you know whole thing. But yeah. you know, Will was always a guy that that no matter what you did. He did it better. That was that was that was Will. You yeah. know, you tell him that you did something. Well, hey, 
as he was saying, Pearl, no, uh, I, you know what I did? <laughs> you know, yeah. he'll come tell you what he did. Yeah. So, you know, but, you know, he was just a, a, a guy that had a tremendous body. He high jumped. You know, he was running track. He was going to box Ali. And, and you know, he was, he was a guy that if he was that person today, the way social media and all everything, it'd be, it'd be no stopping him in, in any. And the fact that he was such a good guy. I mean, yeah. no, he, you know, he, he knows he didn't bed, bed no 20,000. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, but it was, it was a good conversation straight no up. Question. That's one of the greatest no lies question. ever told. <laughs> but I also want to know, since you were playing in this era and the hundred points. Wow. Well, that was before me, but before I, you, I okay. About this. Okay. Okay, so that hundred points. I mean, he got against the, the Knicks uh, playing um, somewhere in Pennsylvania. It was uh, like it wasn't a regular um, uh, gym that you know that Sixers you know they played at. Um, and if if someone was to say they were there, it only sat maybe eighteen hundred, maybe two thousand people, but you would get maybe. 30,000, 40,000 people say they were there. You know, it's that's what kind of game it was. And in that game, in my good friend, uh, Guy Rogers, you know, the guy had so many assists, you, you know, they, they stopped giving him, him assists on, on, on the game. So, real, so realistically, Guy Rogers would have the most assists ever. Ever. <laughs> okay. Shouts to Guy Rogers, man. Because I know a lot of people, obviously, we were we were around for Kobe's 81 and on social media, it's kind of hard to even fathom someone even scoring that many points in an NBA basketball game. But mostly people say, where's the footage? Where's the footage? You know what I mean? We only see like the picture of him holding up the hundred, the sheet with the hundred, you know. So it's it's always debated and things like that. But like like you mentioned, it's a small gym and probably wasn't even probably it was just like a, one of them games where you just like, uh, right. You know, there's it's, it's just Wilt versus the Knicks and not really yeah, I, I thinking can, about how the flow of it was going to be. After seeing Kobe's 81, I can I can see how it can happen. You know, like if Kobe could score 81 and he missed a few shots, he probably could have scored 85 or 90 that day. Like. Wilt was towering over everybody and his skill was so much more than everybody else. They just threw him the ball in deep and he just drops it in there. Well, it was, it was a difference. You know, Kobe could dribble the ball and come right. and take his shots. But Wilt had to get the ball right. you know, from somebody. You know, he, he wasn't about dribbling. And there was a guy named Paul Harrison who was an all-star player, um, you know, back in the day. And Paul had had to retire because Wilt would just as he, Wilt would just take his shots, take them out the air, and got him in, and that was his two points instead of Paul's. <laughs> that is crazy. Who is your toughest matchup? Well, Clyde was a tough matchup, you know, for me, um, and Tiny Archibald because uh, Tiny. You know, you do something tiny, tiny, running right back at you, you know, <laughs> and up your legs. <sighs> and uh, he was he was he was a real tough competitor. Uh, there was another guy uh, out in Kansas City. 
Uh, gosh, I can't think of his name right now, but he was tough because he was hard. And I can't, oh, damn, I just saw him the other day. But, you know, it, here's the difference in those type of players. Tiny was fast, smaller, and he could get up underneath you and he could, and he could do a lot of things. First of all, that makes it harder, hard for you. Clyde was another guy. He, he, he was the same size, but he had, he had good hands. And, you know, most of his stuff was like swiping the ball from behind. Uh, they had good team defense, which led you into certain areas. And, but this guy, I can't think of his name. Also, he was just strong. He was, he was like a horse. And you couldn't, you just couldn't do anything. You know, he couldn't move him. You know, you couldn't fake him. You know, you fake him, he'd still be in the same position. You know, <laughs> and so, you know, you had to either just hit him on a run or, you know, you had to devise something else in, in which you uh, could try and, and get something off on him. But, you know, you know, I enjoyed those days of playing against those guys um, in, our, in our league because it, I feel as though it was a golden era of basketball. Um, you know, it was it was breaking out from the, you know, the, the standard pass and shoot until it got to a point now you're doing one-on-one, you're doing shake and bake, you're doing all the other stuff. The league was changing, and and what the league has done was done from that point is what it's gotten to be today, you know, uh, with the three-points, which is what I hate. I hate the I hate how they spread the floor for the three pointer because, you know, the game itself is is more of a knowledgeable game if you could think. It's take of. what you can give, right? Yeah, but yeah. you know, if you, okay, the, right now you got the game that spreads out. You got the, you got the guy that breaks the de- defense down. He comes mm-hmm. in instead of shooting this layup that he can shoot, he, he passes, passes out. out right you know, now, if you remember the Clipper game. Uh, and they would come in and pass the ball out. You know who can't shoot is going to be open. Always open. You open for a reason. Right. So Beverly was open in the corners. You know, he made a <laughs> yeah. couple of shots. But he most did. of the time, he was open for that shot. Right. Him and Rondo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for you real. Know? So, you know, I, I think, you know, when I think about the three-pointer, I think in terms of uh, – is. You don't need a three-pointer until you really need the three-pointer. Mm-hmm. So why not go and get your sure shot? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that a lot of guys are going back to the mid-range and it's yeah. starting to find its way back into the game a little bit more. I know most want to argue and say analytics, but no, I just think that the stuff that people kind of model their game around, you know what I mean? And like what they've seen, because this most of the defense sagged and protect the paint more than anything. Yeah. So it's three or key. By mm-hmm. ran by, by majority of basketball players in the game, and then you have those st- st- though I call them series series killers who are able to make a living off mid range, you know, because it's there. Chris Paul's one of them. Devin Booker, you know, yeah. Kevin Durant still takes them. You know, uh, yeah. Damian Lillard. Yeah. I mean, you can go down the line with most guys that take them, and obviously Michael and Kobe um, lived that hard too, hanging by the line. Yeah, you know what I mean, Kawhi. Middleton takes a lot yeah, of Kawhi tools. Middleton. Yep, Demar Derozan. I mean, the list goes on, the guys, but like the more and more, I think as it loosens up and, you know, coaches take the straps off of players and allow them to play their type of game, I think it'll come back a little bit more. Um, but it, it, it starts with that. Um, 
one of the questions I had, I know you see, well, I see a lot of your game in Magic, but do you see any current player that has like that reminds you of yourself? That like your game has just translated on to the next era? Well, let me say it like this. Before I got here, before I got here, they didn't play like this. Once I got here. Look, don't be humble. Get it off. Then they start playing like this. Go in. Everything is kind of uh, an offshoot of things that I did. I mean, I wasn't doing a flying Duncan and whatnot, but but all the other stuff spitting off the backboard. Um, the one-on-ones the one started with me, you know, because it was called just teams set up to play me. They tried to, you know, because they knew I was isolated. So you so, would see a lot of boxing ones sometimes? Oh, well, I had a lot of that when I was in college. I mean, yeah. I scored 41 points a game in college. So, yeah. you know, I had a lot of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, so you basically, Mister Iso. <laughs> so let me. Oh, go ahead, Trey. No, I was just calling you Mister Iso. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's pretty much what you was. You was out there just willing and dealing, as Clyde would say. No, but I, I you know, yeah. I, I see the game has progressed. I mean, obviously, you know, every generation takes the game to another level, and um, the game itself to, to today. I, I mean, I, I like the game the way it was played back in the day. I mean, I. If I was uh, my brothers, I'd like to see it because it was a lot more thought in the game. But you know, you, you can't, you can't, you can't. Uh, uh, sorry, there's a. a yeah, we're getting that bad weather. It's mutual. I got to say. <laughs> so, but you, you know, you can't uh, take away from what the guys are doing today. I mean, it's it's really um, unbelievable. You know, the way the guys are playing today and. You know, I, I take my hat off to them and, and as they progress and as they continue to make the money and continue to do the things that, that are necessary and standing up for things that, uh, you know, guys weren't able to stand up for before in terms of social justice and things of that nature. Uh, for sure. So obviously you were um, you were mentioned in the film He Got Game, uh, Spike Lee, um, you know, dedicated a scene to to you and and your amazingness on the basketball court what was what was that like did Spike call you before he started filming the movie what was that whole process interaction like for you well I was in the airport and I was going to catch a flight and I see Spike and he said oh I'll come here I want to talk to you about and I said and I go over there and we start talking and um I was Something I look up and, you know, my flight is leaving shortly and I look up, I'm at the wrong gate. So as he's explaining it to me, I said, listen, man, I got to talk to you later, man. I got to go catch my flight. So later on, he called and, you know, we kind of uh, talked about it and so forth and so on. And then he was uh, basing his character, uh, Jesus Sellerworth on Black Jesus. And um, so, OK, that's cool. Um, and then he, he had a part about, uh, you know, uh, Denzel telling the, telling the, um, his son about, you know, about 
Black Jesus or whatever. And that's the reason why he named his son that because Earl Monroe did this, he came in. And it was kind of right. I mean, you know, obviously I, I, you know, when I was in Baltimore, I came to New York, I'm averaging like 23, 24 points a game. And then next year I'm, I'm averaging 11. So, so there's a lot of sacrifices <laughs> to be done. But, you know, again, you, when you think about, all, you know, are you able to make that kind of sacrifice? Uh, you know, some people are not able to do it. You know, because right. it's big, you know, departure from your whole personality. And even for me in doing it, it made me a different kind of player. It made me a different right. type of person. And um, I guess, you know, some for the good, some for the bad. But at least understanding and, and knowing and your knowledge of the game, knowing what to do and how to do it in order to win. That's what that's what, you know, was the determining factor. Nice. So as a nice. as a Knicks guy, right? Did the Knicks make a mistake trading Mark Jackson in 1991? That was a personal question from a friend that wanted to know that. Shouts <laughs> yeah. to Rich Climate, he's the one who asked. So, yeah. Well, did he go to Indiana? I think he went to LA. I think he went to Clippers. Did he go to Clippers? No, he played on the Pacers in the in the, in the mid nineties. But this is ninety one. But I think, but I think oh, they sent him. To, to I think they first? sent him. I think they sent him to the Clippers. So, like, let me see. Okay. Let me make sure. Well, you know, I think I think Rod Strickland was there. They thought that they could work with Rod Strickland. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I think Mark played a heck of a role here because nobody really expected him to be Rookie of the Year when he came out. Yeah, they sent him to the Clippers. You know, mm -hmm. and he was he you know. He, he did, he understood the game. See, one of the things about players, when you have players who understand the game, that's why Chris Paul, you know, they're talking about him so much now because he's, he's a kid that understands the game and he understands the players around him and he makes those guys better. So, yeah, Mark, you know, it was a, it was a tough situation because they had two guards, you know, now they had, had Mark and now they just drafted a Rod Strickland who was a heck of a player in himself. So, you know, it, it, it was different, uh, and they had to make that decision. I don't, I don't like the fact that he left, but uh, I know they had to make that decision. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last question I had: uh, watching the Knicks now, what do you think they need to do off season? Should they target a point guard, or you know, should they keep the team as is? What what are you thinking as as Earl Pearl Monroe the GM? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would try and keep all these guys that they have and try to build, you know, uh, get a couple more guys because as you saw, even in the last in their last games and whatnot, you know, they they sat Peyton and <clears throat> he was no good for them after after they sat him. So you have to find somebody that's going to come in and be that point guard that you need. Now, you know, quickly they have, um, they're looking for him to, to be that, that person, but you're still going to need another guy, at least at this point, who understands the game. Peyton understands the game. You know, he might not have all the tools and whatnot, but he's a guy that understands the game. Uh, secondly, they only need another shooter, another guy that's, that's going to be out there. But again, you remember, they played without Mitchell Robinson 
for the latter part of the season and still made the playoffs and played very well. So, you know, they've got a lot of decisions to make, but I would certainly think that they need another uh, shooting forward. They need to get Dame. As well as the point guard. Say go get Dame. <laughs> Here you go, uh, man. I keep hearing that. I keep hearing that. Hey, man. Uh, but I think Dave is going to go somewhere else. What would what would it be to New York City to land a point guard like Damian Lillard? Like I'm saying, if he wound up in New York City, how big would that be for the franchise? That'd be great big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not it's not winning a chip. You won a chip, so you yeah, know that's a, that's a different thing. But it's close to it as far as bringing that the right swing to it, right? Well, you know, first of all, here's a city that hasn't really experienced a lot in the last decade or so. You know what I mean? So, you know, certainly bringing him in is going to get you a lot closer. And, you know, I'm upset that they didn't take the shot with Durant because, you know, Durant was a guy that, first of all, you know, even though he had that, that injury, his game is not predicated on, 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 on being a, uh, you know, a bully or, or whatever up underneath or not. His game is finesse. And, and you saw in, in this season that he's been able to play, you know, his game is predicated on getting that ball, shooting the ball from wherever and making it happen. And he could do it and he can make everybody else better. Uh, they just had a tough, tough, tough year, I think, when you think in terms of all the people that they had and, and bringing other people. Um, um, I was I, I thought that they were a good team when I when I saw them at the beginning of the year and they had Dinwiddie I thought they were a winning team with Dinwiddie <clears throat> because Dinwiddie is a guy that's going to come and get his and play the, you know he's going to come out and play. Yo, Spence is my guy. Him. Spence is my oh, guy. He's on the road yeah. to recovery. I would love him as a starting point guard for the Knicks. He would yeah. crack. He would crack, yo. He's going to go somewhere. I mean, I don't know if they're going to keep him there, but he's going to go somewhere. Yeah, he wants yeah. to get paid, so I don't I don't see him staying. Yeah. yeah. Jason, you good? I'm good, my G. All right, so we got one last question to send you off because I know you're a busy man. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Um... Let's see. Okay. I think I would say to Earl Monroe at 18 to go with your own feelings. Go with what you feel is going to be good for you. Um, so many times, you know, you do things that's good for everybody else, but do what's good for you, and that will make everybody else happy. Simple, but maybe selfish, but Hey, you know, hey, I hey, love hey, that listen, advice, honestly. I think yeah, I mean, I think it's good. more of the most honest advice you possibly could give yourself. For real. I, I wish I would have back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Man, this has been an amazing episode. Before I close Man. out, I just want to uh, dedicate this episode to my late uncle, Bruce Jones, who passed away a couple of days ago. Big basketball fan, put the ball in my hand. Earl, man, hopefully we can stay in contact. Man, this has been a pleasure, man. A dream, actually. For real. Hey, well, I appreciated it. You know, one of the things that we didn't stay and talk about and whatnot is that, man, you know, I still feel Kobe around. 
And, you know, he's, you know, whenever I see these promos and I see it, you know, I feel so like we, I, like I've lost my own son. And, um, you know, maybe next time we'll talk, you know. Maybe we'll talk. Oh, yeah. No, I'm always welcome to the conversation, honestly, man. I just, I, I know, I know you busy, man. And, and definitely we could, we could have a whole different basketball conversation. And, and everything else, man. Definitely rest in peace, Kobe, man. Kobe's yeah, no, definitely that's, that's, felt for sure. What two sure. LA kids, man? Like we definitely Trey's got Kobe's number I, tatted on. Yeah, me. I was say I literally yeah. got his numbers tattooed on me. Like you know, yeah, yeah, like, I, I, yeah I won some signed shoes from him from Nike in like 2010. I've been a, I I wasn't even a Laker fan my whole life, but I've been a Kobe fan since he came into the league, man. And, you know that that loss like you said it's still it's tough to think about and tough to deal with just as a human as a basketball fan as a black man it's just crazy man i just you know pray for his family and you know all of that growing up the same wins the game <laughs>